This is Transistor.fm. All right, welcome back. Justin Jackson here, and this is the Product People Show. Today I'm talking with Jared Drysdale. He's the author of the first ebook I ever purchased called Bootstrapping Design, bootstrappingdesign.com. A few things before we get started productpeople.club. That's www.productpeople.club is going to launch very soon. I'm going to start inviting new members. This is the private community we've been running for over a year now. It's a community built specifically for solopreneurs, bootstrappers, people working on their own thing. And the results that people are getting have been really great. There's a lot of people that have shipped some incredible products. And this new iteration we have has been really helpful. We're doing daily stand-ups for solopreneurs, and we're sharing our progress. So if you'd like to check that out, productpeople.club is where to go. All right, enough yakking from me. Let's get into the interview with Jared. You're going to love it. Right, I'm here with Jared Drysdale. How are you doing, Jared? I'm good. How are you, Justin? Doing well. Jared and I have become friends over the past few months, and I've wanted to have him on the show forever because Jared, you wrote the first um, ebook I ever purchased. Really, I didn't know that. It's true. I'm very honored. Bootstrapping design. If any of you have not seen Bootstrapping Design, it's bootstrappingdesign.com. And uh, there was something about this. There's something that happens with people, I think, there's, where they become ebook buyers. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yep. So, like, you know, they go from saying, I'm never going to buy one of those ebooks. Like, it, they're they're not my thing or they're too expensive or whatever. Right, right. And your book is what took me over that threshold. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> I made a convert out of you. It's true. That. It's true. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how did this book come to be? What's the story behind it? Yeah, so uh, I actually wrote that book almost, it's been almost two and a half years, which is kind of hard to believe, but... Uh, yeah, so a, a few years back, I read uh, Getting Real by the 37 Signals guys, and I was working in a full-time job, and I kind of got the itch to go and make my own product. So um, I had some consulting that just kind of fell into my lap, and it seemed like a good time. So I quit my job, took the consulting work, and started building products. The first thing I built was an online gradebook for teachers. It's called okay. NAC. And uh, it was like they pay 5 bucks a month. And they can use this thing, and it has, you know, they put their data in, and it has analytics and all this stuff. And I thought, okay, I'm going to have my own products business. So I worked on that on and off for a year, and it was just a miserable failure. I had, like, five people pay me for it. So I wrote a postmortem and was all panicked about, what do I do, what do I do? And I met uh, Amy Hoy through that. And I took her entrepreneurship class, learned a lot about business that way, and 
bootstrapping des design came out of that learning. Came so, out of the came out of that course. Yeah. There's, a, there's definitely a trend. There's a lot of uh, 30 by 500 alumni. Yeah, I'm one of them. <laughs> so what do you think changed? Um, what, what was the, the grade book called? It was called NAC, NACforteachers.com. It's actually still online if anybody's curious. But, uh, NACforteachers.com. You do not have to show it to anybody. Uh, okay, I won't show it. I'll just, I'm just going to take a look here. I mean, I don't mind, but... Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, I wrote a post-mortem about it, and it hit the front page of Hacker News, and I was saying all these things that I would learned in that class about, you know, finding an audience that is a professional audience and that you can prove pays for things, um, people who make money, and having a product that's attached to the way people make money, stuff like that. So I learned a lot about that, and uh, bootstrapping design was kind of, uh, you know, is for a totally different audience, you know, people who are building businesses, who are willing to spend money to make money, um, things like that, rather than just teachers who, at least in the U.S., are not really always very well paid and don't have a lot of extra money to spend. So it's just a very different kind of audience. So um, I think back then, you know, I didn't know a lot of people who were writing ebooks, and I was just like, okay, an ebook sounds a lot easier than building a subscription software service. So I'll just try this and see how it goes. And uh, I was pretty happy with the results. It did way better than I could have hoped for. So. I was very grateful for that. Okay, so let's back up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Why did you choose teachers originally? I'm married to a teacher. My wife is a teacher. My dad was a high school teacher for a long time. My sister-in-law was a high school teacher. So I felt like I had some inside knowledge about that group and what their struggles are, what their pain points were. Um, and I think I did in some ways, but there were just some realities of just the economics and the reason people purchase product, teachers purchase products that I didn't realize because I, I think I was probably too close to it. So. And why, why do you think that didn't come out while you were building it? Like your wife was there and your dad was there. What, why do you think you didn't get that information until it was too late? Well, I think there's, some, there's probably several reasons. I think the people closest to you and your family want to be supportive. And, you know, it's really hard to get a real... I mean, they mean well, but it's hard to get a real, like, objective answer out of them. They're always going to say, it looks good. You should keep doing it, you know, because they love you and they want to support you. So just relying on your family member's advice is maybe not the best idea. Even if they mean well and they're trying, honestly, to help you, they're maybe not the best people to listen to because they're not going to give you a straight answer. And then also, I just think that uh, I was just so excited about my idea I had kind of these just rose-tinted goggles on, or whatever the phrase is, that, you know, I was just seeing things in a really positive light, and I was like, this is going to go great, and people are going to love this, and I was just really amped about it, and uh, I probably just wasn't willing to see the signals that were there. Yeah. So. Interesting. And what was the response on Hacker News when you did the postmortem? What were people saying in that community there? Oh, everything. It's like with Hacker News, there's a hundred different opinions, and some people were saying I was an idiot to shut it down. Some people were saying, um, you should look for an acquisition, you should open source it, you should do this, you should do that. I think there was very little actual business advice that uh, made much sense in the thread. Um, I think, uh, you know, there were a couple, like, tech industry celebrities that commented on it and said, uh, you know, like, you can follow all the guru's advice and still fail, and, you know, so I don't know. I think there were a lot of there was a lot of input there, but um, I think what I learned 
after that, just from other, you know, just one-on-one -on -one conversations was more useful, and it was just about choosing the right kind of audience and building a product that you, you have data that people actually need that and they're willing to pay for it. Those were the biggest takeaways for me, I think. So why did you choose... Now, first of all, who is the audience for bootstrapping design? So the audience is, it's, it's really specific, uh, programmers, developers who are building their own businesses. Okay, and, and how did you choose that audience? Why did you choose that group? Uh, it was just through research. So I, I just did a bunch of research on various audiences, and uh, that, again, that was something I learned from Amy's class, and just kind of, you know, you list out audiences, and you go and see what they're doing online, where they hang out, and what are their pain points, and... Uh, you try and get a, as narrow of an audience as possible so you can really hone in on their pain points. And so that, that was what I did. Originally, I was just researching developers. And, you know, but then I discovered um, there were several places where um, there were these, you know, startup communities, basically, where developers were saying, well, how do you get a design? I can't afford to spend $3,000 on hiring a designer. How can you get something? These themes are giving me a hard time, are there any good resources? And so that was a really strong indicator that a book might be a good idea for that group. Yeah. And what about the, the um, everyone's always saying that developers don't pay for things. I don't know why people say that. I don't think that's true at all. So, I mean, I think people say it because people say, well, developers are into open source and, you know, they, they, they're, you know, they'll build something before they have to buy it. Mm -hmm. But that hasn't been your experience. No, not at all. I mean, I think with code, maybe it's a little bit different. I mean, you know, how many developers have you heard, well, I'll just roll my own, whatever. Roll my own service, my own shopping cart, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but design is kind of different than that. It's not just about, it's, it's a skill. You know, you have to kind of work at it. You have to practice. And it's not necessarily really intuitive just getting started. I think they're you not only have to put a lot of work into building skill, but um, you kind of, when you're starting out, you really need the advice of somebody who has more experience, who can kind of give you some shortcuts and guide you towards the right things to try. And early in my career, I had that, and I was very fortunate to have that. And that was what I tried to put into the book and why I think it's a little bit different than, you know, just going and reading blog posts about, you know, graphic design because they're really just tutorials and they don't really teach you how to develop your skill, if that yeah. makes sense. How to kind of develop your own design palette, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what? how do you describe yourself, by the way? I call myself a designer, but I kind of do everything. I don't know. People say there's no such thing as a generalist, and I think I kind of think of myself as one. I do front-end coding, I'm a writer, I'm a designer. So, I've okay. even done a little bit of back-end coding, like I've used Rails a little bit. Okay, so you're you're basically you're mostly a front end guy. Yeah. But you're you uh, and and when you were consulting and doing work, were you like an HTML CSS guy? Were you a Photoshop guy? What what were you doing before that? Well, it was a few years ago. It's actually been a few years since I've done any consulting work. Yeah. And I'm looking to get back into it now. But a few years ago, it was mostly you know people weren't really talking about designing in the browser as much then so it was mostly photoshop work was the kind of requests i would get but then i did a lot of front end you know building it out too you know doing wordpress themes stuff like that and so did you have any challenges um, you know this your audience isn't really a group you were a part of then was it did you have any challenges reaching out to them 
Yeah, well, I'm not exactly a part, yeah, because I'm not really a full, I was never a full-time developer at a job or anything like that, so it, it is a slightly different skill set. But since I'm teaching design, I have experience, you know, I have experience as a designer, so I can teach design, so that played to my strengths, I think. But, yeah, I mean, just reaching the audience because I wasn't part of it was interesting, and I had to do a lot of research, just, you know, where do developers hang out online, you know, how do I reach them, things like that. Uh, and even just that kind of research, it teaches you a lot about what kind of language to use. Like, if you're writing a landing page or even just the book, you know, what kind of words does this audience use when they're talking about this topic? Um, research helps you so much for that kind of stuff. Yeah. So take us through the launch now. So you, you okay. wrote the book, um, which is hard. Was that harder than you thought it would be? Yeah, it was. It took me four months to write four the book. Yeah. And so you got done with the book. Did you have a, a mailing list or a waiting list from the time you started? When did that start? I believe, yeah, so I put up a landing page. Uh, I think it was in November. And, like, early November, I think this was 2012 maybe. I don't remember the year. But, uh, it, and it was just basically just your standard landing page with kind of a sales pitch on it. And at the bottom it said, you want to know when this book is ready, put your email address in here. So I started up a mailing list, and then as I was writing, I sent out a couple of previews. So I sent out a free chapter. I sent a couple articles just kind of testing different topics to see what people responded to, asking for feedback. That worked pretty well, and, and I just kind of did that over four months as I wrote it. And then I think it was March when I actually launched it, put up a new landing page with a purchase link and everything. Okay, and, and how did your list grow over time? Do you remember anything significant there, or was it pretty steady? It was actually pretty steady. I, I was really fortunate um, when I put up the first landing page just to announce the project that it hit Hacker News and I got a lot of support from some really nice people who helped spread the word. So I think that first, within the first week or so, I had about a thousand newsletter subscribers. Wow. And over the next couple months, I think I got to about 2,500. So, and that was mostly just residual, just gradual off of the initial announcement. Gotcha, gotcha. And was there any feedback while you were, like, was there anything that you got back while you're sending these things out that mm -hmm. made you adjust the book or change the product in some way? Honestly, no. Um, the feedback, I was really surprised by that, but it was all really positive. Um, the one thing that I did learn while I was writing it, I pretty much cut the book in half. I had this huge outline when I put up the landing page and just, you know, because I needed to have a rough plan of what I was going to do. I hadn't written it yet, but I ended up cutting about half of it out. And uh, I was a little bit worried when I started sending samples and stuff that people would say, well, this looks kind of short. There's not very much in this. But uh, I, the first chapter I sent was on typography, and people responded to that well. So that gave me the confidence to say, okay, I, I think I can launch this with, less than I planned, and people will still be happy with it. And, um, and why, I sent out a table of contents, and they, people seemed fine with it. So. Okay. And why did you decide to cut out half? Because it would have taken me a year to finish writing it. <laughs> if I had done every topic on my list, it was just too much. It would have been such a big book. So uh, I had to launch it. So Actually, what I did was I launched it as a quote-unquote beta version mm -hmm. because I was still a little bit nervous that uh, people would say there wasn't enough in there. And I think it was about 140 pages in the PDF. And uh, 
I launched it and just sent a request like, okay, what do you guys think? This is the beta. You know, tell me what you think, and I'll, I'll revise it. And I did a revised version a couple months later, but it was really just light edits was all it was, just grammar. And I think yeah. I wrote, you know, maybe an extra couple pages or something. But yeah. I didn't need to change it that much, so yeah. I was lucky. I think I was on the beta. I, I'm trying to remember, actually, how I heard about it. Because I always think that discovery process is interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I can't remember exactly. But I think one thing that's important... Uh, is that you you were able to create some buzz, uh, whether that was luck or purposeful. That I think one thing that I, I've been thinking about a lot lately is you kind of have to get hit with something a couple times. Um, I was even thinking maybe it's up to seven times, seven times before you actually think, hey, you know what? I should maybe I should get that thing. Yeah. And um, if you only talk about it once or you only tweet about it once and you really don't want to push it too much. I actually see you apologizing for this all the time on Twitter. You'll, you'll be like, uh, I apologize. I'm going to be doing some promo or whatever. Yeah. I'm always thinking, man, you just wasted a tweet. You should. <laughs> <laughs> well, I try to be nice. You know, I want to balance like the, the sales pitches with providing stuff that's valuable, you know, or at least providing stuff that's valuable that somebody doesn't have to pay for, you know. Yeah. So, I don't want people to think that I'm a spammer and that I'm always, you know, plugging my own stuff and not Yeah, and I, th you know? I mean, that, that's good. I, in my experience, we're, we're, I'm, I'm this way too. We're, we're often way too, like, like, I don't want to share too much, but you were able to create some buzz for this. People heard about it. And yeah, yeah. I, I remember um, seeing it, and this is the purchasing process in my head. And you always have to go back. Right, so there's things going on at work where I just can't get um, uh, the the uh, where we're slowing down. I was working for like a web web app, right? Mm -hmm. Where we're slowing down is the we always had to wait for the designer to build something, even for really basic pages. And I thought, you know what? Like I need the developers to just know some basic skills. This was a .NET app, and it, at the time we were using web forms. So the developer kind of owns the process, um, okay. and uh, any, everything kind of has to start in .NET. And I was thinking, man, we, if I could just have the developers understand some basic design principles, they could do the first part, and then the designer could come in later and clean it up. Yeah. And that's why we bought it. I bought it for for the office, and um, and you know. That that was like the, the the threshold that I got pushed over to actually buy. Um, is there other stories like that? Do you know other people that bought it for work, or was it mostly people buying it for their own purpose? No, I, you're totally right. Since I launched that book, I have learned that the the audience is is really diverse. Actually, it's not all programmers who are building businesses, but it's I've even had designers purchase the book, which shocked me because it's. It's mostly about fundamentals, you know. It's like really basic design ideas, rather than the advanced stuff. So there's a really, I was kind of surprised that designers would be interested in it. But uh, you know, it's been designers, uh, marketers, just people who don't write code or design, just like product managers, uh, you know, people who are project managers, uh, developers as well, developers that are working at agencies or web shops, stuff like that. It's it's funny because the the sales pitch for it on the the landing pages really tailored really closely 
you're a developer, you're building an online business, but all kinds of other people have bought it. So it's been interesting to talk to those people and hear about that. Um, it's kind of funny how your marketing can work in ways you don't expect. Yeah, and and real time, uh, real time update from the chat room here. Yeah. So Nathan says I got on his list somehow after the tenth or fifteenth email I finally bought. I remember seeing it over and over again, but I was interested in enough to not feel like it was spam. So that's kind of interesting, you know. He's saying it took him ten to fifteen emails before he bought. Well, thanks, Nathan. That's really nice of you. Um, yeah, ten to fifteen times is a long time. I mean, I think part of that's, I mean, it's not just being reminded about that it exists, because obviously people forget, you know, yeah. you need to remind them, but it's also just building trust, you know. $39 for a book is, you know, I mean, for some people that's not an impulse buy, and the that purchase is more than just spending $39. For some people it represents, like, a big decision about some work they're going to invest in. So you've got to convince them that it's worthwhile and build some trust and say, well, okay, here's some previews of my writing. Here's why I can really help you out with doing this. So yeah. I think you've got to build some trust there as well as remind people. Yeah, and I've been talking to people about this a lot lately, especially people that are following kind of like the, what's become kind of like the launch sequence, which is, you know, you do this and you do this and you do this, and it's right. usually like an email sequence. Um, the challenge I'm seeing that they're having is that they haven't built enough trust. Um, even like the fact that you had done something before and you'd written a post-mortem and all of those touch points all help create uh, just an awareness of who you are but also trust. Like this this fellow has tried some things, he's built some things, uh, he's written some things. Those all help, I think, more than people realize. It's why people can't just replicate the success of you know, everyone else, uh, you know, like a, a Nathan Berry, uh, just by following the launch sequence because, you know, Nathan was doing a lot of other things uh, to create awareness uh, outside of the launch sequence. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I've had uh, quite, a, quite a few customers, actually, who told me that they found out about me from that first post-mortem that I wrote. And then they discovered my ebook through that, you know, by just checking back on my blog or whatever it was, or following me on Twitter or wh wherever it was that they found those updates. But yeah, I, I agree. I think that you have to put yourself out there and share what you're doing. And one thing that I've tried to do, and I've been more successful at this at other times, at sometimes than others, than, but it's just being candid about how things are going, you know, sharing failures, sharing successes, and just trying to share what I'm learning through all of it. And uh, I think that wins you a lot of points. I think people come to respect you if you're willing to tell them more than just, you know, how you can help them, but also, uh, you know, what hasn't worked for you and things that they should avoid doing. Yeah. So. Well, and let's talk about the launch. So how did the launch go? Was it, like, you, you launched and what happened? Yeah, so the ebook launch went great. I was, it was kind of funny. Uh, there was a coincidence that that same day, Sasha Grief launched his design ebook and we had never even talked before. It just kind of happened that we both launched our books on the same day. So we both wrote some, some guest posts on uh, a smart bear about pricing and stuff uh, over the following week. But my launch went great. It was mostly just to my mailing list. And I think it made about $8,000 within the first 48 hours. And I was just thrilled with that. I was hoping to make, you know, 
50 sales and it, it just it was great it was very encouraging and then over the following couple months it reached about 30,000 in sales wow well so that's a different kind of launch actually this is encouraging so eight thousand dollars in your first 48 hours mm -hmm. and then um, and then it, it just kept chugging along didn't it it did yeah it kind of had a mind of its own <laughs> you know I sent a couple of emails after that you know just trying to you know remind people that it was there and just just articles um, but yeah it kept going uh, I was really surprised when you read about you know people's successes. Usually, you see a huge spike right up front, and then it tapers off really slowly. But I had kind of a plateau for about two months, and then it trickled off. So, wow! So it was kind of steady for two months. Yeah, I mean, relatively steady. I mean, I didn't have an eight thousand dollar day, but it was you know probably a few hundred bucks a day for several for a couple months, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. Because that could have been like four grand your first day, four grand your next day, and then kind of continue, 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 continuing on. I think that's encouraging because I think one of the problems right now is we've got all these folks that are having huge, huge launches, and I mean a huge launch is great. Um, yeah. But if you know, some people, I I had one guy call me and say, you know, I I had a two thousand dollar launch day. I said, well, that's amazing. <laughs> like you 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 sold a two thousand dollars worth of product in a day, like. Keep going, man. Like you never yeah. know what what's going to happen. Right, and people. I mean, I've done the same thing. You know, I relaunched that ebook actually recently, and I made about twenty five hundred bucks in a day. And I was saying, oh man, you know, it wasn't a huge spike of sales like I was hoping for. But you've got to remember that's that's still you sold a product that you built and you connected it with people who wanted it and you made money. And I think uh, it's easy to compare yourself to other people who have had. Huge launches like thirty thousand in a day or something, and say, well, mine was a failure if I didn't make thirty thousand in a day. But you know, nobody starts at that place. You know, you've got to build to that point. And um, just making money off of a product is a huge accomplishment, I think, because yeah. so many people try really hard to do that and fail at it. So just making a little bit of money is, I think, a great, great accomplishment. Yeah, I think we need to talk about this more and, yeah. and share this more because the, the, the like I said, I think the the folks that are doing really really big big launches are are awesome and that's that's amazing, um, but there's also people, you know, like there's folks like me that on the side, you know, with very little time, I've been able to make forty thousand dollars I think in the past twelve months, uh, well more than that now. It's probably 45 or 50 now, mm -hmm. uh, and that's just you know that's amazing. And I, I think that's I, amazing. Yeah. And, and I think we should celebrate even like if someone launched tomorrow and sold $500 or sold $100 or sold $1,000. Uh, sometimes our our expectations need to just come down a little bit to say this is still awesome that you built something right. and launched it and people on the internet. Uh, actually cared enough to pay for it. Yeah, and I actually just wrote a post about this that I'm going to be sharing soon, but uh, there are other ways to measure success than just money. You know, uh, after I relaunched that book, I had, there was this guy who recorded a video thank you and wow. posted it on YouTube and sent it to me, and it was just like three minutes of him saying how helpful this video I had made was. And I, I was just so, so shocked by that that I that somebody cared enough about this thing that I made to 
take the time to record a video and send it to me. And I mean, that's the kind of success that's worth celebrating. Regardless of how much money I made on that, somebody actually got value from it, and it really helped them out. And that's great. You know, I think it's so easy to overlook that. But if you make 2,000 in sales, well, people are getting value out of that thing you made, and that's you should be proud of that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, that's I think one thing I like about Sasha Grafe is he's all he's always reminding me that uh, you know. There's all these steps and checks you gotta do, and he he's just okay with saying, you know, sometimes I'm I'm not gonna do those things. Like, you know, yeah. I still haven't A/B tested a page, and I'm you know sometimes I'm just okay with things not going perfectly according to plan. And yeah. like you like you've shown, you can have a four thousand dollar launch day, and then you know you could have this that great guest post sequence that you had with a smart bear mm -hmm. and that might drive a bunch more people interested and then you might have a bunch of customers that really appreciated what you did and then they create a, a thank you blog post or a thank you video and that drives more you know uh, right. yeah. you never know yeah I completely agree with that I, I just think you know and I think there's a temptation like I'm pretty cynical and you could almost call that self-deception like you're just trying to say that it, well, it went better than it did, you know, even though you didn't make money, it still helped people and, you know, like yeah. you're lying to yourself, but I really do think that there's some meaning in that and that it's good to just, you know, be adding things and making products that actually make a difference for people's work and I, I think it's good to remember that and I think it's really easy to forget that, especially when your sales numbers don't quite reach your expectations and you're hoping, well, you know, I worked on this a month and I wish I had made more money, but just remember, you know, those people who did buy it, they're getting value out of that, and that's pretty cool. And the other thing I like about that is that you stay focused on other people, whereas sales numbers is all about you. And if you get focused on that, you'll—it's just a, a pit of despair. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Yeah. And I think if you stay focused on people, eventually, it and you know, especially for someone like you, that's a real craftsman. Like you produce really good work. Your your Thank book you. was—I think I still think your book is one of the best. Uh, put together books I've seen, Thank and you for that. I think when people see that kind of care and attention to detail, and the fact that you actually care about them, um, and you're not just out for you know dollar signs, I think yeah. people appreciate that, and and eventually it'll it comes around. I think eventually um, you know all of the stars align, and and you get the big you'll get the big break. I hope so. Yeah, I hope things work that way. <laughs> you know, it's it's hard to. I've had some trouble reproducing that success, to be honest. You know, I think uh, I, I what was it we were talking the other week, and I was saying like I'm trying to find this formula, what figure out what the formula was that worked for me the first time, and I haven't been able to find it. And then I think it was you who said maybe there isn't a formula, and I was like, oh, you know. Yeah. So you know, I think sometimes there's some luck involved, and you just got to keep plugging away, even when you know things don't go the way you expect them to or hope they do. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, Cascade.io. That was your next product, right? Uh, because that, that you you've shared with me, you know, that was a a bit more of a struggle. Maybe talk about what Cascade is and kind of what's happened so far with it. Yeah. So Cascade is uh, it was kind of the follow-up product to the ebook, and it's essentially a front-end framework. I call it a design framework. It's built on top of Twitter Bootstrap. And essentially, it uses a CSS preprocessor to switch between things like color schemes and font pairings and logo styles, stuff like that. 
comes with some uh, kind of customizable layouts. So kind of like a design theme on steroids where uh, you, the layouts are kind of based on blocks and you can swap sections in and out based on what you need. And then you, so you could do a landing page and then it, it comes with a design for like a web app that would match the landing page. So the thinking there is that you can take the knowledge that you got from the book about you know, how to pick colors that match your goals and what you're trying to communicate to your audience and just pick them and then rather than having to come up with it from scratch, you can just make those decisions, you get it all in code and then you can just connect it to whatever you're building. So uh, I launched that, I actually announced that over a year ago and I launched it last November and it has been, uh, I don't remember the exact number of sales it's made but I think it's just slightly over $10,000 in sales and uh, it's, you know, I put about four to five months into building it. Um, it was a pretty substantial project and it's, uh, the sales have been kind of slow for it. So it's kind of a puzzle I'm still trying to figure out. I'm not really sure what to do with it right now, to be honest. So yeah. that's where it is. Yeah, and, and maybe just, I, I know, like, especially after the first success, I know that was hard on you. And um, I think that that's just worth um, just talking about, that, you know, sometimes you get some, sometimes something works and sometimes something doesn't work and sometimes something doesn't work yet. And right, yeah. That's all challenging. It is, and it's. I think it's really hard to know if something's not going to work or if it's just not working yet. So with Cascade, I think I've rewritten the landing page for it six times, maybe seven times, completely rewritten and redesigned. And I relaunched it once. Um, I did a couple launch sequences on my email newsletter, and um, I just haven't been able to figure out, is there a combination here that's going to make this work for people? Um, you know, but I do have a handful of customers and the people who are actually using it are emailing me saying, one guy said, this is like my secret sauce. You know, I'm building a, a web application and I don't think I could have done it without this. And that was so cool to hear that from him. And he's doing such a great job with it. But I'm having a hard time selling it to more people. I, you know, I've tried different ways of talking about it, um, you know, different types of sales pitches and emphasizing different aspects of the product, like different features and stuff, and it's been tough. Yeah, it's been really tough. I, and, I mean, the other, the, yeah, I, I think that's just challenging, and, and in some ways I, I think it's, I just wanted to bring it up so we could just acknowledge that sometimes it's just tough, and like, um, you know, you and I have talked about it, and I, I don't really have any answers either. Um, right, yeah. There's this idea of just being able to, like, like you said, I'm going to keep trying things, I'm going to keep trying things, and, you know, maybe try some other things, too, aside from Cascade. But, right. um, you know, I know there's other people, like, um, maybe I shouldn't name names, but I know other, I've talked to other founders who were very successful, and then they tried something else, and it didn't work. And, sure. And, and that's sometimes challenging. Yeah, it is. And I think, uh, like I was saying a second ago, it's hard to figure out if you need to just keep working on it. I think that's your, I mean, most of us were, you know, programmers or designers, and that's kind of our instinct to keep working on it, keep improving it, add new features, write, it a, write about it a different way, whatever, and that's kind of what we do because we're builders, you know, we make things. And sometimes I think it's just okay to say, well, I'm going to walk away from this, take a break, and just, you know, get some perspective. So that's what I'm doing right now because, you know, I'm, I'm just out of ideas. So... Um, and I think it's okay to do that sometimes and just say, well, this isn't working and I don't know what to do with it and do something else for a little while. 
So that's what I'm doing. Um, I have, since launching that, there are some things that I think, um, some mistakes that I've made along the way that I'm trying to remedy. So for example, I think for a long time, um, once I started working on this project, all I really talked about on my newsletter was this project and what I'm building. And if you really think about that, that's not super interesting to my subscribers because it's not like they can go and use it right now. You know, I'm just building it and I'm telling them what I'm, and they know what it's like to build a piece of software. You know, that's not really that interesting. So for a long time, uh, most of my writing was just about me. You know, and it wasn't really about stuff that my subscribers could really use or get much value from. So over that process of building Cascade, I've gotten, I've lost quite a few subscribers on my mailing list because of that. Um, and really, it, it wasn't like a huge, people were leaving in droves or anything. It was just, you know, the standard, like, every time you send a newsletter, 1% unsubscribes or whatever. And, uh, you know, you send a dozen newsletters and you've lost 600 people, you know. So over time, I think you start to see the effects of that. And I'm trying to take steps to, uh, you know, start providing value to people again. Yeah. rather than talking about myself and what I want to do. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, that's great advice. Uh, for And that's for a lot of us that have started newsletters. That is a challenge of, like, how, what do we write? And I think the thing that we always seem to come back to is, okay, well, we just got to go back to people, and how can we care for them? Right, and yeah. That, you know, that might take some work. We might have to rediscover, like, where are they at now? Who Who's on this list now? I thought it was developers, but maybe it's a bunch of agency people or, you know? Right, yeah. I think that's another thing that I face is uh, my audience, like we were talking about earlier, is a lot more diverse than I expected. I just, you know, I built this product for programmers, and it turns out a lot of other people were were uh, reading that book, and here I am, I built a product for just for programmers. You pretty much have to be very competent coder to use it. So, that you know, that could contribute to it too. But uh, the, I think one of the other things that I did over that... Uh, period when I was building and launching that was, um, I think a lot of times we feel this pressure to do things the right way, you know. Um, everybody says, you know, keep your mailing list warm. If, if you're not writing all the time, then you're making a big mistake and people are going to forget who you are and they're going to unsubscribe and you're going to waste all your success and all this stuff. And so you feel this pressure to be writing all the time. And um, I don't know about you, but sometimes for me it's really hard to write. I just have a hard time coming up with something. So sometimes I would find myself just putting out writing just because I felt like I had to, and it was just stuff that I threw together really quickly. And I think sometimes, I, I think I phrased it to you this way the, the other day, I, sometimes I'm just writing to fill the gaps between newsletters, or between writing to fill the gaps between sales pitches, sorry. Yeah. And uh, I just think, you know, I'm trying to focus on getting back to value, you know, making sure that when I write something that it's good and that there's a reason somebody would want to read it, rather than just sending things out because I feel like I have to, you know? Yeah. When I write something, I want to make sure it's good. <laughs> it uh, sounds uh, obvious, right? But I think it's something that you can fall into just as part of your efforts in marketing a product or, you know, writing a newsletter that you just feel this pressure to be shipping things constantly. And it's not, maybe not totally conscious that you're just writing just because you feel like you have to write, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So where can people find you on the web right now? What, where, where can they catch your writing? Where can they see you know, what you're doing with your next projects? Where should they go? Yeah, so right now probably the best place to go is just bootstrappingdesign.com. It's just the site for my ebook, and there's a newsletter sign-up 
on that site as well. In the next week or so, I'm going to be launching a new site for myself that I'm going to be giving away a free ebook. Uh, the, the next ebook I'm doing is free, and it's going to have a, a, a bunch of new stuff up there. So if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see that. Sweet. What's the new ebook on? Uh, it's really just a collection of articles that I've written over the past couple of years. So it's called Designs Iron Fist. It's a title of one of those articles. And uh, it's just like the, the writing that people have responded to the best over the past couple of years. And I've kind of gone through and edited and uh, put it together into a, a nice custom PDF design. So I love it. Designs Iron Fist. Yeah. yeah. All right. So you heard it here first. You're going to need to hear <laughs> about it six more times. Yeah. But make sure you sign up for the list so you can get it. So bootstrappingdesign.com, and thanks again, Jared, for your time. Thanks, Justin. Hey, I'm back. Thanks for listening to the show. Really appreciate all your nice reviews on iTunes. If you haven't given one of those yet, go to iTunes, search for product people, click five stars. It's just that easy. Also on Stitcher, you can leave a review as well. And uh, tell your friends. We're Product People TV on Twitter. And again, head over to productpeople.club. Sign up for that waiting list, and I'll be inviting people in small batches, uh, probably five people at a time. Uh, if you'd like to check me out on Twitter, I'm at MIJustin. And I write a newsletter every Saturday morning, justinjackson.ca slash newsletter. It's all about marketing, building products, uh, launching products. So if you're into that stuff, and you must be because you're here, subscribe to that justinjackson.ca slash newsletter. And that's it for this week. You, as always, have been a great audience. We'll see you again next Thursday. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.